morning. I'm, uh, you may, you may uh, have trouble hearing me today. I'm, uh, as you know, I like the headset. I like the headset. It makes me feel like Britney Spears up here, and I always feel good wearing the headset. And earlier this morning, I broke the headset, so you'll probably get a, a lot of this today and a whole bunch of this today. So uh, I'll do what I can. Don't blame the sound guy. Um, but I always have the same goal whenever I get a chance to speak to you guys. I just, uh, I'm hoping that more people will leave thinking it over than those who are just glad that it's over. And so we'll see how I do. And I want to start this morning by something a little different, uh, by, by speaking the words that no high school teacher has ever spoken before. Why don't you pull out your cell phones for a minute? So please, pull out your cell phones. If you have a cell phone, if you have a tablet, if you have a laptop, they're all good. If you brought a desktop, that's kind of weird, but there's plugs on the side. Uh, you can do that too. And uh, if you uh, have something that you can use here, texting is easier for this but you can go to the website. So if you're a texter, you're looking at the left here, you're gonna text to the number 37607, and then the message you're gonna send simply will say Gary Watson 126. And if you prefer websites, you can go to pollev.com slash Gary Watson 126. Either way, it will get you there. Uh, we're gonna do a little something this morning that's a little bit different, but uh, hopefully we can figure this out. So once you do that, you should get a text back from, from this website saying that you're in. And once you're in, you can just hold on for a second. We'll wait for a few people. Um, this is the same basic software you would use if you wanted to uh, you know, use a texting device to have people donate. But I, I promise this is, this is all free. Uh, you, you're not paying $2 per text to do this. But it's the same sort of idea. So some, show of hands real quick if you're in. You got some people getting in. Perfect. Let's wait one more second here. So it's 37607 is the phone number. So that goes at the top. And then just Gary Watson 126. And once you're in, we're good to go. And then uh, we're, we can go to the kind of see the next screen here. And the question I'm asking this morning is, who do you say Jesus is? So I want you to text who you say Jesus is. And so I'll just do a quick example here. If I text a word uh, once I'm in, it'll appear up there. Now, to say that Jesus is Jesus is not overly brilliant, so I'll leave it to you guys to decide what words would you use to describe Jesus. And you can send more than one if you like. Um, I should mention that uh, someone's already way ahead of me here, though. If you want to send more than one word, don't use spaces, because it will split up your words, and they'll appear all over the place, and they won't make sense. Um, so you can, whatever you want to say. You can even, if you're uh, one of those people who barely speaks anymore, you're just kind of into the, uh, the emoticons, that should work for you as well. So I'll give you, uh, give you about 30 seconds here to see what you might want to say. So far, no one has texted Gary Watson 126, which usually happens because somebody will be, they'll forget a step and they'll join and then they'll send that again. So that's impressive. This is probably riveting for those of you listening online. So just hang on. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll get there eventually. Perfect. So we can keep going, and you can actually keep going. We're going to take that down in a few seconds. We'll leave it up here a bit longer, but that's kind of what you would expect, right? From a bunch of people sitting in church, you know, I'd, I'd like to take that, uh, slap it on a t-shirt, hand it out to everybody. This is very typical of what you might expect for people sitting in church. But what I'm kind of interested in, in thinking about is, what would people who aren't here this morning possibly answer to that question? What about the people you work with, the people that you live with, the people that you see in line in front of you at Tim Hortons? How would they answer? And so we'll come back to this at the end and let you see that one more time. But uh, we're actually going to watch a quick little video I think I've shown you before, but I want to show it to you again. 
Jesus. He was born and he became this like prophet for eventually what would become Christianity. And then at the age of 32, he died on the cross and it's like three days later he was resurrected. I don't have an opinion on Jesus. I believe that religion was just created to control the masses, really. Jesus is the, our Lord and Savior that died on the cross for us for our sins. Jesus is a uh, person that existed that continues to enrich the lives of people every day. Jesus is God's son, and he was sent to save our sins. I think he is a pretty cool guy. He had a, a peaceful philosophy. I think he's misinterpreted by a lot of people. He's the savior of this world. I don't know, because I don't really believe in him, so I don't really think anything of him. I, I mean, he could have been a real person. I mean, I'm sure he was. I mean, I'm sure he was just, you know, did it what he did or something. I feel that Jesus is a modern-day scapegoat. Jesus is God, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just learned that. Uh, Jesus was a man, from what I figure. Who is Jesus? He was a dude. Lived back in the day. Pretty awesome. He had a beard. He was just kind of a guy with a really unique, positive message that kind of gave a lot of people a lot of hope. He probably existed, but I don't believe that he was the son of God or anything. He died on the cross for us and uh, to save us and rose again from the dead. I wanted to sound smart, but... <laughs> Fantastic. I know I've shown that before. I can't remember why I showed it to you before, but uh, I, I love what we heard there. You know, we had somebody say, you know, he's a person that existed and continues to enrich the lives of people every day. I mean, that's nice. He was a pretty cool guy. He had a peaceful philosophy. I'm sure that he was a real person and that he was probably good at what he did or something. Uh, he was a dude that lived back in the day. He was pretty awesome. He had a beard. And, and uh, what, I, what I really wondered about was, like, is, is that accurate? Like, that was put together by a, a church organization for youth groups and churches to look at. So I, I, I never really known, but I'd always kind of thought, you know, I think that's typical of how people think. And then last spring, Angus Reed did a poll. And in this poll, they basically went across Canada which is rare because a lot of these polls aren't, are actually American, but they went across Canada and they polled different people as to what their views of religion and God were. And when they went through all these, they basically came up with a, a four categories of, of basically people and how they believe. And uh, I found it very surprising when I saw these numbers. And uh, I want to know if you find it surprising, but if I just ask you, probably 50% of you will say, of course, I knew that. And uh, the other half will just kind of see me struggling up here and just feel bad for me. So you just nod your head like bobbleheads because you want me to feel good about myself. But I want to quiz you. And so hopefully you still have your I, I, um, iPhones or your uh, devices with you. We're going to do a quick little quiz here to see uh, if you agree with the statistics that come out. So first, a practice question to make sure it's working. So if you're still logged in, all you're answering is A, B, C, and D. So I've given you a wide range of choices here to the question, how do you think the sermon is going so far? And so if you want to answer amazing, that would be an A, so text A. If you think it's the best ever, that would be a B. If you consider it to be life-changing, that's a C. And finally, if this is the reason why you come to church in the morning, that's going to be an answer of D. So as you text in your results, we should be able to see kind of this live response to the polling here. This is good. This is actually very helpful to me because every Sunday afternoon, Pastor Mark will text me and say, how did it go? And so what I'm really excited to do today is say, you know what? The church was really kind of divided on what I said today. Uh, you know, 
about half of them thought it was amazing, and the other half said, this is the reason why they come to church every week. So I look forward to asking them that. So that's how this is going to work. We're going to be able to do a couple survey questions here. So we'll go to the next one. Oh, sorry. It, it actually is amazing. In case, in case you're wondering, it was amazing. It was the correct answer. Uh, most of you knew that. That's another little tidbit I can share with Mark. Most people realized it was amazing early on. So uh, here we go. Second, our first real question. What percentage of Canadians don't believe in God, period? Any God. The whole concept of God is flawed. There's no such thing. Is it 19%, 29%, 39%, or the bottom one, if you can't see it, 49%? How many people say there just isn't a God? And again, this is not... Christianity per se, this is just Canadians in general. Do you believe that there is such a thing as God? We've got a few more answers here. Well, the answer to my question of do you find the results surprising is probably accurate because the actual answer was 19%. And I'm going to insert the word here, only 19% of people in Canada believe that there is no God, that the, the whole concept is flawed. It's just, you know, you're, you're an accident of biology, basically. Uh, our second question, or our second category, was asking, what percentage of Canadians consider themselves to be committed, religiously committed? And so again, you can just do A, B, C, or D. If you put anything else in, it just won't respond. Um, if you try to answer twice, I don't think it lets you, but uh, just your, your first guess, do you think it's 11%, 21%, 31%, or 41%? And I should, I should mention here, they weren't, just, they weren't asked this question. They were asked a series of about 40 questions, like things, do you pray? Do you attend a church? Do you read a, a Bible or a holy book of some sort? There were a whole mixture of questions. They weren't just asked these, these categories to pick, pick themselves. The researchers chose the categories based on the results. And uh, so as we go through here, it was 11, 21, 31, or 41. The correct answer is 21%. So almost the same number, almost the same number of Canadians who consider themselves to be dedicated to a religion um, is equivalent to the number of people who don't think there's a God, period. Our, our third category, our third section here, is uh, what percentage of Canadians are spiritually uncertain? And you can, you can define that however you like, but these are people who um, have, are unsure. They, they believe there's a God or they would have been in the other category, but they're really unsure beyond that. And so is it 30%, 35%, 40%, or 45% are unsure? Perfect. And, and like I said, I, was, I, was, I found the results surprising. I think you did too, because the correct answer here, again, is the least chosen one. 30% of Canadians put themselves into a third category saying spiritually uncertain. And we have a final category here. What percentage of Canadians are privately faithful? I'm not going to define that at all for you. They are privately faithful. Now, if you're any good at math, you're probably trying to figure out what the last number must be. But if that's what you need to do, that's fine. But how many do you think, 10%, 20%, 30%, 40%, how many Canadians are privately faithful? Yeah, you guys are all good at math. So again, it's the 30%. The 30% uh, are, are considered privately faithful. And so um, if we take a look at all of that together, we can kind of split them into two groups if you think about it. There's those who believe and are doing something about it and those who either don't believe or don't really know enough to do anything about it. So we kind of have the, the red and the blue, and it works out to 51%. 
to 49%. And so I was very surprised by these results. I wouldn't have guessed that. If you kind of put it into kind of simple numerical terms, I mean, if you think of it this way, if you work with 10 people, two of them have some sort of faith that would be something we would recognize as faith, like going to church and, and, and having some sort of you know, devotional time or reading their, their Bible. You would have uh, another two out of that 10 who are, just don't believe in God at all and have no interest in knowing anything about it. And then you'd have the bulk of the people who are kind of in the other two categories. And that's what I want to talk about. We're going to start just to review here. There's that 19%, right? There's that 19% who do not believe. Uh, they believe that man, uh, religion is a man-made construct. That's something that people have created uh, in an attempt just to kind of know the unknowable or to understand the ununderstandable. And so it was like from the video, uh, this person who said, I believe that religion was just created to control the masses. Or this person who said, I don't know, I don't really believe in him, so I don't really think anything on him or of him. We had the 21% of Canadians who have a faith of some sort of a commitment level. And so uh, the survey and graph called these people the spiritually committed. These people attend church. They have some sort of regular devotional time. They um, regularly read a Bible or some holy book, and they pray. And so they're in our video as well. And so we had, uh, we had this young man who said, you know, he is Lord and Savior who died on a cross for our sins, or, or these ladies who said Jesus is God. So they were in the video as well. And then the part that I really found fascinating was the size of that 60% group, 60% of Canadians who um, believe there's a God but really um, don't fall into the category of what we would picture as believers. And so the survey splits them into two groups, and today we're only going to have time to focus on one. We're going to talk about the spiritually uncertain today. We're going to talk about those people. And so this is from the article um, which the research was based on. And so the, it, it says here, there seems to be a bit of confusion about where these people, the spiritually uncertain, want to be. On some issues, they kind of side with the non-believers, but they haven't given up on totally on everything. They continue to believe that there is a God, but they're just really uncertain about who that God is and what they should do about it. And so it was people like this. He's a pretty cool guy who had a peaceful philosophy. Or, or this gentleman here who said he was a guy with a unique perspective positive message that gave people a lot of hope. And I'll, although I found that 30% category to be very surprising, maybe I shouldn't have been surprised because these people were around 2,000 years ago. And we can read about them in the Bible as they interacted with Jesus. And we find, we find them kind of in a passage from the book of Acts, something that I had read before and never really caught on to. But uh, I've been enjoying a, a, a Bible study here Tuesday nights called Starting Point, and this is something Andy Stanley kind of pointed out. And so we're going to read it together. It's in Acts 17, starting in verse 16, if you're, if you're following along. If not, we'll put it up on the screen here. But it says this. It says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. He went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles, and he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. He also had a debate with some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. When he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, they said, what is this babbler talking about? He seems to have this strange idea he's picked up. Others said he seems to be preaching about some foreign gods. And so they took him to the high council of the city and said, come and tell us about this new teaching. They said, you are saying some rather strange things and we want to know all about it. And Paul points out, uh, sorry, um, it's pointed out here that it should be explained that all the Athenians as well as the foreigners in Athens, seem to spend all of their time discussing these latest ideas. And so Paul, standing before the council, addresses them as follows. Men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines, and one of the altars had an inscription on it, 
to an unknown God. And I've, I've read that before. It never, I never kind of thought about it, but Andy Stanley points it out, um, that last statement, that there's an unknown God. And you see, he's not saying that they believe there's a God and just don't know him. What he's saying is you don't simply worship that unknown God. You worship every imaginable God. In fact, there were at least 360 of, that we know of for sure Greek gods at the time of when Jesus was here. And they were worshipped by, by, there was hundreds more that we don't know the names of, but we find shrines for, those sort of things. And so it could get very confusing. If you were, um, you were living in Athens at the time, you, maybe you can't sleep at night. So you think, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray that I can get to sleep because I have a big day tomorrow. And so maybe you would pray to Hypnos, the god of sleep. Or maybe Nyx, who was the goddess of night. Or maybe uh, Hestia, who was the goddess of rest and relaxation. Maybe you like to count sheep. So maybe you would pray to the, to the god of shepherds, Pan. Or in my case, uh, you know, I would probably pray to uh, Memesine, who was the goddess of having a good memory so that you could figure out who all these people were. I mean, but the, po- the point there is Paul says, hey, I see you guys worship a lot of different gods, but you have this unknown god. And then he actually starts to talk about something else. But, but what you have to realize is what he's saying is I can see that you guys like to talk about these gods a lot. And what he's saying is you seem unsure. Like, if you need 300-plus gods and you need to invent some extras, then really you're just kind of saying, this is just in case. This is our just-in-case God, just in case we missed one, just in case we missed a bunch. And Stanley referred to it perfectly. He said, listen, if that's the situation you're in, you're guessing. If you have 360 gods and you're still making up new ones, then you're guessing. And uh, you're basically saying, by, by the very definition of what you're doing, that you're spiritually uncertain. You don't know. You believe there's a God, just like the people in the survey said, or they wouldn't have been in that category, but you just don't know. You just don't know who God is or what God can do for you. And so you end up like this guy who says, you know, he was a person that existed and continues to enrich the lives of people every day. But you don't see Jesus as God. You just see him rather as a nice guy. And that's something that Jesus never claimed to be. There's no doubt and we're going to take a look at this in a minute. There's no gray area around who Jesus said he was. You can't get around it. In the book of John, Jesus refers to himself with seven different illustrations to demonstrate that he's God. Do you guys know them? The I am statements? Here, I'll give you a hint. We'll see if you guys can figure them out. So he said, I am. The bre- wow, you guys are good. Don't tell Saturday night I said that, okay? You are light of the world. Very good. You are. It is Bill Gates. You are the gate for the sheep. That's one we never think of. How about this one? You're the good shepherd. Very good. I, I, I always show this stuff to Candace before I, before I do for you guys. We come out here and I practice. It's hard to believe I practice this, right? And uh, I showed her this one, and, and she, she just couldn't get it. She just, I, I don't know. What is it? And I said, well, the thumbs up means good. And she goes, oh, good looking. <laughs> Which Jesus did not claim to be. But yeah, that's a good shepherd. So how about this one? The resurrection and the life. Very good. The way, the truth, and the life. Yeah. And finally, the true vine. Very good. So we have these statements, these I am statements. 
And we could spend hours, maybe days, working our way through them and explaining how these were actually uh, illustrations that Jesus created to show that he was God, but we don't have to. And the reason we don't have to is because he eventually gives us a very straightforward, very blunt confession as to who he is. And so I want to take a look at that, and it happens in John 8, verse 49, if you're, uh, if you're looking that up. I'll set the stage a bit while we're getting there, though. Um, you've all heard of the Sermon on the Mount, right? This isn't it, but you've all heard of that. And if I can, I would describe that as a very positive lesson. Uh, you know, he talked about the Beatitudes, and he talked about who was blessed. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. I mean, that's nice. I like to hear that. Jesus talked about being salt and light to those around us. That's uplifting. You know, Jesus talks about sin too, but he says things like, you know, murder, don't do that. Uh, he says adultery, stop. He says revenge against your enemies is best not to. And then he goes on and on and he talks about all these things. And I, I would imagine, you know, as he talks about loving your enemies and giving to the needy and not letting anxiety ruin your life and the importance of prayer and so on and so on, I would imagine everybody standing there listening is nodding their heads. These are not difficult things to agree with. And they're, and they're loving it. They're, they're talking to each other. There's a buzz in the crowd as they're all being wowed by what he's saying. And they're saying to themselves, who is this Jesus? Who is this guy? And I mean, they're just loving it. And they got a free lunch. And so I, I'm sure they left there very excited. But John chapter 7 and 8 is very different. It's, it's a very different feel to it. And in John chapter 7, we hear how Jesus went to the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem. But he went there secretly. And uh, he's hearing people talking and discussing with each other and wondering aloud, who is this Jesus? And some are saying, you know what, he's a good man. And there's others who are saying, you know what, he's a liar. He's deceiving the people. He can't be who, what he says he is. And then Jesus then goes to the temple and he begins to teach. And people again are questioning, who is this Jesus? And some are actually saying that he is demon-possessed. And there's others who are saying he's got to be the Christ because look at the miracles he's been performing. Who else could do that? And so there's actually people who are saying, well, he can't be the Christ because he's from Galilee and nothing good comes from Galilee. I, I'm not going to make a, a Dunville joke there. I, I, I'm not because you're, you're already thinking it. So I'll just, I'll just move on. But, so they go home for the night and they all come back again the next day and they start all over again. They continue. So this debate, this is not a lesson. This is a debate. This, this is an argument for lack of a better term. And it's into day two of this. And people keep asking, who is he? Is he really who he says he is? We don't know who he is. And so they actually start arguing that Jews are the children of Abraham, and that's what they should build their faith on. They're actually saying it doesn't really matter who Jesus is. We're children of Abraham. We should build our faith on that. And then Jesus says to them, you know what? You guys are closer to being the children of the devil than you are of being children of Abraham, which, which they didn't like. And so they look at him and say, well, you're a demon-possessed Samaritan. Now, none of you gasped when I said that, but you really should have, and they would have, because, very good, because what they've just said, it's not even the demon-possessed part. They've already said that several times. They called him a Samaritan, which is, it's 2,000 years ago, that was a very simplified way of saying, oh, yeah, you're not even Jewish, which was the, the worst slam that they had. And so this goes back and forth, and, and I mean, you can't make this up, right? I have no idea why people love reality TV so much when they have a Bible, but uh, John 8, 49 is where we'll pick it up. So that's brought us to this point. And, and Jesus says this. No, Jesus said, I have no demon in me, for I honor my Father and you dishonor me. And though I have no wish to glorify myself, God is going to glorify me. He is the true judge. I tell you the truth. Anyone who obeys my teaching will never die. 
And the people said, now we know you are possessed by a demon. Even Abraham and the prophets died. But do you say anyone who obeys my teaching will never die? Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? And Jesus answered, if I want to glory for myself, it doesn't count. But if my father, it is my father who will glorify me. You say he is our God, but you don't even know him. I know him. If I said otherwise, I would be as great a liar as you. This is Jesus speaking, right? I think sometimes we forget. But I do know him, and I obey him. Your father Abraham rejoiced as he looked forward to my coming. He saw it and was glad. Now the people said, well, you aren't even 50 years old. How can you say that you've seen Abraham, which would have been 2,000 years prior? And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was even born, born, I am. You is what? No, that's not a, you don't have to gasp for that. They, they, they would have gasped, you're right, uh, but that's a, that wasn't what the pause was for. I'm waiting for the rest of the sentence, right? Like, like you are what? Um, the English translation doesn't work really well there. But, uh, but I am mean something very precise to those well-read and well-educated Pharisees who were questioning Jesus. Because what Jesus had just said was two things in that statement. He said that he was eternal, and he said that he was God. And, and you might be thinking, ah, that's a bit of a stretch. If he wanted to say, I am God, why didn't he just say, I am God? And I mean, to get the answer for that, we're going to have to go back a little bit. We're going to have to go back all the way to the book of Exodus and uh, to that moment when God first introduced himself to Moses. And it was that burning bush moment that uh, when God speaks to Moses and tells him that he wants Moses to go to Egypt and free his people. And Moses says to God, you know, who am I? I'm nobody. You must have somebody better to send. And then God says to him, no, I'm going to be with you, and I myself will be assigned to Pharaoh that you're there on my behalf. And so we'll pick it up in Genesis, uh, sorry, Exodus uh, 3.13. But Moses protested, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me, they're going to ask me, what is his name? And what do I tell them? And God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And so the answer to the question of what is God's name from the, from the mouth of God himself is, I am. And so God, God gave himself that name way back when, the, when his people were still languishing in, in captivity in Egypt, and Jesus just used the same name to describe himself now, standing in front of these people in Jerusalem. And what he had said, without a shadow of a doubt, that he was God. He was eternal, and he was God. You know, and, and how does he know how Abraham felt about him and his coming? Because he knows Abraham, because he had been there since before Abraham. And so the Pharisees listening, um, they know exactly what he meant. And because after Jesus spoke those words, the two-day argument ended without another word. They did not speak another word to him. They just stopped arguing. And it says they started looking around on the ground to find stones, <laughs> stones that they could pick up and, and, and stone him to death. Because what he had just said was blasphemous, or it would have been blasphemous if it wasn't true. And so instantly... The debate is over. Two days of arguing, two days of checking, uh, trying, to, trying to figure out who he is is over because finally he said exactly who he is. And you see, there's no room for he was just a great teacher or a nice guy or a real peaceful person. Um, that's, we know who Jesus says he was. Uh, C.S. Lewis coined a term that sums it up perfectly, so much so that we simply call this the Lewis trilemma. You guys ever heard of the Lewis trilemma? The lion, the witch, and the... 
yeah, that's not it. I just wanted to see if I could get you to say that. So the Lewis trilemma, Lewis trilemma is this. It was that, actually, it wasn't an idea that was his. It was actually an idea from, from, a, from a Scottish preacher, John Duncan, about 100 years before. But we associate it with Lewis because he made it into this nice, concise little soundbite. So here it is, the Lewis tri- trilemma. Who do you say Jesus is? He is a liar, he is a lunatic, or he is your Lord. And he says that's the only three choices you had. I've also heard it said mad, bad, or God, but Lewis wins because his sounds better. And so maybe, maybe, you know, once we've heard that I am statement, we realize there's only three categories we can put him in. So maybe he's a liar. Maybe he spent his time purposefully telling people something that was untrue and that he knows is untrue, assumedly for some sort of personal gain. And so he's traveling around the countryside faking miracles. Uh, tricking people into believing that they were sick and now they're healed. I mean, he couldn't bribe them. He was, he was homeless. He didn't have any money. And so maybe that's who Jesus is. He's a liar. And it seems pretty unlikely. It's hard to believe someone who lies so outlandishly. I mean, I, I used to teach outdoor ed. And so we would go on trips every day of the week. But every Monday morning before we left for our first trip, I would, I would ask the kids to tell me, tell me something you did this weekend where you connected with nature. And so I, I had this one kid, Kenny, and Kenny would always first hand up, and, uh, and Kenny would always have a great story about how he uh, interacted with nature. And so he would come in and he would say things like, oh, my dad and I went fishing and we caught 20 fish this big. I'd be like, wow, Kenny, that's great. And he says, oh, and, and uh, next week he would say, oh, my uncle and I went hunting and I took out six bull moose on our trip up north. And, and I, wow, that's great, Kenny. And so finally I got tired of Kenny and his stories. So I said, you know what, I'm going to tell Kenny one of my stories. So I, I told the class how, uh, you know, I'd been hiking on the weekend and a huge black bear started chasing me. And just before it caught me, a little chihuahua came storming out of the bushes and ate that bear whole. And I looked at Kenny and I said, oh, Kenny, do you believe my story? And Kenny looked at me and said, I sure do. That's my dog. <laughs> or is he a lunatic? Is, is he mentally unstable? Does he believe he's God? And he's going around and, uh, and telling people he's God because he actually believes he is. And so in this case, somebody else is faking all those miracles. Maybe it's his, uh, his disciples who are try- enabling him in this. Or is he Lord? Or is he the son of the living God, Lord and Savior, part of the Trinity that is our God? Because that's our choices. But deciding which is correct takes us away from Jesus saying who he is to asking ourselves, who do I say Jesus is? Because for me personally, I'm not willing to dedicate my life to a liar or a lunatic. I mean, if I can be honest, I have other things I could be doing on a Saturday night when I go to church. I mean, think about how many Leaf games I've missed being here every Saturday night. You know, regular season games, not playoff games. They don't do those. But, you know, I... I actually went back and checked. Um, There has been one Saturday night Stanley Cup playoff Leaf game in the four and a half years that Candace and I have been coming to Kingsway. So uh, it ended in double overtime, so I didn't really miss it anyway. But, you know, that's, that's not what I'm willing to dedicate my life to. But if it's true that I'm not interested in dedicating my life to a liar or a lunatic, it's equally true that I can't help but dedicate my life to Jesus if he is Lord if he is my Lord and Savior. And I think it's important that we really consider that, who do I say Jesus is? Because who do you say that Jesus is is not just a question that I'm asking right now. Jesus was asking the same question. Jesus was traveling with his disciples to a number of small towns around the city of um, Caesarea Philippi. And he started asking his disciples, who are people saying that I am? What are you guys hearing about this? And um, 
I should explain that this is, this is before all the drama of John 7 and 8. So this is before. This, Jesus is pretty popular at the time. He's traveling around. He's teaching. He's performing miracles. You know, he's calming the storm. He's walking on water. He's healing the sick, feeding the hungry, raising the dead back to life. And so the Pharisees and Sadducees are still trying to chip, trip Jesus up, but they're really just doing it by asking a lot of dumb questions. I mean, there's a great example that says that Jesus had just finished teaching and feeding 4,000 people with seven loaves and a few small fish when the Pharisees came up to him and said, hey, if you really are who you say you are, show us a miracle. Apparently that wasn't impressive enough. And so Jesus says to his disciples, who are people saying that I am? And his disciples tell him, you know, some say you're John the Baptist because you, you're so powerful when you speak. And others say Elijah because of how you pray. And he said, others are even saying Jeremiah because of your compassion. And still others are saying other people, other prophets, and which is really the definition of being spiritually uncertain. And that's kind of the same answer we might get today if we start asking people. You know, Muslims say that Jesus was a prophet, that he was a great, important man. But as Christians, we've, we've lost focus, and we focus on him instead of what he taught. Jehovah's Witness believed that Jesus was an angel. Buddhists considered Jesus to be one of the most enlightened teachers. So then Jesus asked the second question, though. He says, okay, uh, Matthew 16, 15, he says, when he asked them, but who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. And so Simon, who... Jesus renames Peter, we know as Peter, knows who Jesus is, not because anyone told him, but because God has shown him. And so that really brings me to, to one final question. Who does Jesus want you to say he is? Because it's interesting, as I read through the Gospels, looking at all the examples of how Jesus revealed himself to people, there was one interaction that stuck out, and it was really at the very beginning of his ministry, when he was first becoming a public figure. Jesus was returning back to Galilee, and it says he was now had the power of the Holy Spirit upon him, and he's traveling back, um, and he would stop at all the little towns and villages on his way, and he would teach in the synagogues, and the people were amazed at his wisdom and the gracefulness in which he spoke, and when he finally made his way back to his hometown, he went on the Sabbath to the synagogue to read from what we now call the Old Testament, uh, and he did this every Sabbath, and on this particular Saturday... I know who goes to church on a Saturday, but on this Saturday, Jesus was asked to read from Isaiah. And I think it's really interesting what Jesus chose to read. And so he stands up in front of his, in front of his synagogue, and he reads this. Uh, it's retold. It's from Isaiah. It's retold in Luke 4, uh, chapter, uh, sorry, chapter 4, starting in verse 18. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And when he finished reading that, he rolled it up. It was a scroll. It wasn't a Bible or a book or a, or a screen behind him. He rolled it back up, and he gave it to the attendant, and it says he sat down. And to me, if I, if I suddenly sit down, you, you, it's probably safe to assume it's over. Um, but that's not what that meant. Back in Jesus' time, the, the, the teacher would sit. Everybody else would stand. It's actually where we get the expression chairman of the board. So you think of the chairman as being in charge of the board. Well, the chairman was literally the one person who got a chair. And so Jesus sat down and he looked out at the people. And uh, as they're all kind of uh, waiting for him to teach, he simply says this. He, um, he simply says this, that um, if I can find it. 
sorry. He, so he sat down, he looked out at everybody, and he just looked at them, he said, I, what I've just read to you has now been fulfilled. And so what do you think they did? They did what they always do. They got angry, they chased him out of town, they tried to throw him off a cliff, and it said Jesus just passed through them because it wasn't yet his time. And so that actually is the first time that Jesus said who he was, and it enraged people because they didn't believe. And so... Uh, you know, the, question, the simple question of who, who does Jesus want us to say he is, um, you know, the, any of those words that we put up on that screen would have fit nicely, but I want to look at what Jesus suggested to them himself that first time he told them. And so, uh, you know, I thought, well, I'll just, I'll make a list, because that's kind of the pastory thing to do, right? You, when you're preaching, you have to, like, make a list of everything. And so I thought, I'll just make a list of everything he just said and categorize them and make a few pithy comments about each one. And I thought, I, that's not what Jesus did. Jesus didn't explain it. Jesus just said it. So I just want to say it to you one more time. So who is Jesus? Who do you say that he is? And more importantly, who, who does he want you? How does he want you to answer? Jesus is God, anointed to bring good news to the poor. He was sent to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and to tell us that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Can we pray together? Lord, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for an opportunity just to share your word, Lord, to know that it's powerful, to know that it's directly from you, and to be able to look at your life and see that there was, there was no guile in you. You told us who you were, and you invited us to believe, and you, you tell us so, so much in, in, uh, in your life about what happens to those who believe. Those who believe will just be um, welcomed into the family of God and just taken care of and just loved by you, Lord. And we know that uh, we just want to be... Um, willing to answer that question. However we want to answer it, we need to be willing to answer that question. I just pray that this week as we go out, um, that, that thought of who do I say and how do I live my life um, in, in accordance to that, Lord, it's just so important. I just pray that we come back to us this week that we might answer that question. I just pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So who does Jesus say he is? And does your life reflect that answer? And uh, that's, uh, that's all we have time for this morning. I'm, I'm actually excited to talk about that, that final category, uh, the privately faithful. This is, a, this is a fascinating group. And again, 30% of Canadians, almost a third of everybody in our country, have a strong belief in God. But what they're really rejecting is the church. What they really struggle with is the church. So this privately faithful group is a group that considers themselves to be faithful to God, who pray and read their Bibles and would believe many things that we would believe sitting here this morning, but they're not here because what they're rejecting is the church. And so um, it's religion they struggle with. And so what starts to happen is people start to create their own theology. They start to just add things that make sense and subtract things they don't like. And so I really want to talk about those people as well, but that'll be next time because there's a reason why Jesus called the church's bride. And it's important that we understand that as well.